Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Thus wrote John Wesley in his journal on May 24, 1738, after attending a group meeting on Aldersgate Street in London and hearing a reading from Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. To talk about this conversion event and 18th century evangelical ideas of conversion, I'm joined today by my friend, Dr. Robert Caldwell. Dr. Caldwell serves as the professor of church history at our sister seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where his research focuses on the history and theology of evangelicalism in North America, with specialities in American Awakenings and the theology of Jonathan Edwards. In addition to numerous articles, Dr. Caldwell is also the author of Theologies of the American Revivalists, From Whitfield to Finney, which should aid much in our conversation today. Uh, he also has written on the Trinitarian theology of Jonathan Edwards and communion in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bond of union in the theology of Jonathan Edwards. So welcome to this week in church history, Dr. Caldwell. Yes, thank you, John Mark. Glad to be here. It is so good to uh, be able to talk with you anytime. Uh, for our listeners, uh, both you and I attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School together, uh, did our doctoral work together, um, been friends for years. Uh, I deeply appreciate your work uh, in this area. Uh, I referenced uh, your volume uh, dealing with the theologies of the American Revivalists from Whitfield to Finney. This is a this is a book that really any pastor or seminary student should be grabbing to read. It is a fascinating read to understand uh, exactly the nature of uh, conversion and uh, this impulse for revivalism and how this worked out in the 18th and 19th century. Uh, so I strongly commend that, which our listeners can pick up online at the Sword and Trowel Bookstore or by stopping by the Sword and Trowel Bookstore on our campus here in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. So I know in my teaching, uh, students, as we get to Wesley's conversion, we've already talked quite a bit about Wesley's unique and individual life. Um, his He's already gone on mission trips. Uh, he's already uh, even pastored and led uh, somewhat some churches before his conversion. Uh, talk to us about what's going on in this story with Wesley and finally coming to understand the nature of conversion. Yeah, well, yeah, as you uh, mentioned, yeah, Wesley was very religious for about uh, 10 to 12 years, a dozen years before he wrote this uh, this kind of famous uh, conversion narrative in his journal. He um, uh, he, he, was, he had just spent uh, a significant amount of time in uh, Georgia in uh, uh, doing some mission work among uh, Native Americans, um, he had spent a significant amount of time doing work <clears throat> among, uh, uh, yeah, in ministry back in England, seeking, uh, you know, forming this uh, holy club, this kind of small group. Uh, well, it was a 
sizable small group uh, in England, uh, yeah, seeking the Lord, walking in by faith, doing works of mercy, uh, reading a lot of the church fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he had came to this, this realization uh, as a result of kind of his failed mission work in, uh, in Georgia that, you know, that um, he, he wasn't really deeply converted. He had right. had some interactions with some Moravians, right? Uh, these these white hot kind of German Protestants uh, mm. uh, in the New World on on ship on the way back to England in uh, early 1738, and then later conferred with a fellow a, a Moravian in uh, London named Peter Bowler, and and talking with Bowler, Bowler's like, you know, brother. Well, not brother, but uh, you know, you're, uh, he, 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 Bowler confided he didn't think uh, Wesley was saved after right. he had spent, uh, you know, a good dozen years, um, and this deeply uh, affected Wesley. Uh, but it didn't uh, send him out of doing ministry. Bowler said, "Continue to do the ministry you're doing. Preach faith, preach uh, the word, preach for conversion, and in the midst of it." God may convert you and transform you, <laughs> and uh, and that's exactly what happened in the in the, in the weeks following uh, that meeting. I think it was in February, seventeen thirty eight, with Bowler, um, uh, culminating in this uh, May twenty fourth uh, Aldersgate Street um, the event that uh, you read earlier. So, so Wesley has this this moment, and really, what we begin to see in evangelicalism is a new emphasis on a conversion narrative. What is this conversion narrative that we start to see kind of crop up uh, in the 18th century, especially relating to um, the First Great Awakening uh, that's happening in both Britain and uh, America? Well, it's um, it's a theology, it's a narrative uh, of, of kind of a a set of expectations that one experientially goes through, that one passes through in uh, route to uh, that great transformation of life, regeneration, conversion, mm. faith and repentance, right? Um, and it's in, in some sense it's new, but in other sense it's not new. Uh, it, it was a theology that had been developed, a, a kind of a spiritual theology, I want to say, uh, kind of developed by the... Uh, in depth by uh, the English Puritans right. in the century before, <clears throat> but it basically um, uh, they 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 had this idea that uh, that God basically takes an individual uh, from you know to he, he, a person is not saved and takes that person through a sequence of experiences uh, that ultimately yield in salvation, and then ultimately in, in assurance of salvation. So, um, and then this sequence, they argued, is orderly. There's going to be, there's gonna be uh, uh, similarities in, in many persons' uh, conversion experiences, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and not everyone's is going to be the same, but uh, there's going to be some uh, uh, prominent uh, similarities. And then generally, some of them even talked about it as being under, uh, there's three points to it. Um, and there's the three C's I usually say in class, <laughs> conviction of sin, uh, conversion, and consolation, or the search for assurance. So mm. conviction, conversion, and consolation. And so um, conviction is that kind of lead up to, where they, are, they argue that um, 
you know, you, you must palpably feel a sense of your bondage uh, in sin you know, to some degree, right? Some, right. some people it's going to be really deep and intense. Others are going to be mild. But, but they argue this from Scripture, right? The Son of Man came to seek that which was lost. The sick are those who seek out a physician, right? Christ bids mm. those who are weary and heavy laden to come to him. Right. So so you have to have I mean, they argue that uh, you have to have this sense of I'm a sinner and not just intellectual, but this this feeling of, you know, only a spirit can can put this on a person's heart, leading a person to uh, it's basically an an awakening and an alarm. You might want to say that I am under the, the wrath of God and I need I need salvation. This is this period of conviction that they uh that they argued was well was um necessary i wouldn't say the word necessary was was uh it, it's there in many persons conversion experiences right. and and so they, and they they preached to this end they would preach the terrors of the law meaning the uh you know if you're if you're on the outside of of uh the grace of christ well the God's uh, law condemns you. It's uh, it's terrific, right? It's terrifying to be <laughs> under His wrath, right? Yeah, and 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 so in this this kind of uh, set in motion, uh, the preachers that could preach this well, this kind of set in motion, this kind of uh, these revivals, these awakenings, and um, and it and it led to you might want to say a a great um, kind of pietistic or devotional accent uh, in. Um, in in New England and even in England, right as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, you know, you, you don't just profess the faith. I believe you have to experience it with your heart, right? Heart religion mm-hmm. this is what evangelicals are about. And then, but the, but there's an entry. There's a gateway into true heart religion. And that gateway, that entry, is this this gateway of uh, of conviction. Um, of uh, feeling a sense of a uh, conviction of sin, and um, and and then and then coming to an awareness that I can't save myself. I must turn to someone else, something else, right? The right. Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, to save me and call out to Him that He might He might uh, transform me and give me a new heart. Right, well, and and it's that conviction component, that first C that you you mentioned there. I think we see. Yep. On full display, when I have my students read "Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God," right? This this is that yes. that classic text Edwards. that uh, we get mm-hmm. to Jonathan Edwards, right? Who's and, and he's he's doing that exact same thing. He is he is helping people situate themselves uh, within a context of their sin and how horrible it is, how terrible it is, yes. and how much of an affront to God it is. Um, yes. hel- helping them be convicted uh, about that. But you said your second C that you see in these narratives, these conversion narratives, is the conversion event itself and experiencing this new birth. Uh, what are some of the similarities that you see with with that across these uh, conversion narratives? Well, um, uh, what, what's fascinating, and, and that's kind of what's lost among evangelicals today, is the conversion event uh, is not was not associated as it was in the 19th century and afterwards, it wasn't associated with a kind of a, a decision for mm. Christ, a, a going forward. It was more of an uh, kind of a, uh, an a, a dawning, a new awareness of what the gospel is, 
right? Um, uh, they, they would call it a spiritual illumination, where the, where the Holy Spirit would like kind of open the, the eyes of the heart, you might want to say, and give, 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 give someone new spiritual eyes in order to see the gospel for how it truly is. And not just see it, but love it, right? right? It's not just an intellectual construct, right? Oh, I know that Christ can save me, but it's a, I see this as a glorious way of salvation, that by, by faith alone I can be saved from my sin and, and bring glory to God, and that this is a way that is alluring, that is, it's, um, I want to do this, right? It, it, it's mm. drawing the heart. And, um, and, and, and generally they said, once you've kind of have that sense, that experience where, and, and a lot of times, uh, well, once you have that sense or experience that that's the dawn of the, the, the new birth, you, you come to this realization that, okay, the, the gospel is glorious. It's beautiful. I want to part with my sin for it. Right. right. And thus you would part with your sin, repent, and then you would faith. Right, believe, <clears throat> believe in Christ, and they would they would call it like closing with Christ. You know how you close on a house, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing all, you're signing all the papers. Um, it's kind of like you're closing with Christ, uh, and 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 it's like I am His now, and um, and and He is mine, and um, <clears throat> and so, uh, and and generally, I mean, there was often some uh, pastoral. Uh, 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 issues related to this, because sometimes people might have kind of a weak conversion, and they're like, oh, I didn't know if what I had, what I experienced was really, truly um, a conversion experience. And so there'd be issues with assurance and mm. wondering about whether or not they truly came to faith. And this is where you get uh, people like Edwards and others writing these manuals of how do you discern the marks of the Spirit of God in, in the heart of a, of a true believer versus kind of religious experience that's not based or grounded in the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> So when we're when we're talking about this and this conversion, this new awakening, this new dawning, it's it is the nineteenth century where I think we we conflate or, or you see a conflation of the assurance and the conversion moment. It's uh it it, it becomes almost um uh, almost transactional, right? So where it is more of a decision in the 19th century, and then that just kind of seals the deal, and that's all. We just kind of move forward. Uh, where yeah. whereas in the 18th century, there's it is much more, um, much more of a process to where I'm I'm enlightened and awakened, and then I'm going to pursue fruit and other kinds of assurances in my life. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly true. I mean, it's. Um... In the 18th century, in the First Great Awakening, and uh, throughout much of the 18th century evangelical world, uh, both in uh, England and the New England, um, the idea it was it was a process. Now, now when I say it was a process, I don't mean you know uh, that uh, that conversion, regeneration was a process. They would always theologically say regeneration takes place at a point in time. It's right. something that God does. It is it is instantaneous. But he will lead you to that point. God will lead you to that point. He will prepare you in this through this period of conviction. Um, uh, in that, that, it, uh, that might take time. It might take several days. Oftentimes, it took weeks. You'll see. Mm -hmm. You'll see diaries, and then this is where diaries come from. Puritans wondering, thinking about, and reflecting upon their spiritual experiences. Right. You know, uh, and and then they come to this awareness. They're like, ah, I'm I'm saved, right? Um, and um, and and then the uh, yeah, and so the believing. 
uh, repenting and belief would would kind of be a moment, but it would be, it would be preceded by this uh, lengthy period. There were some people that it, it took months or even years. Those were rare occasions, and some. Uh, but uh, but it was often kind of a thing of weeks. Um, and so, and, it, and the conversion moment was often identified as I had this new awareness of divine mm. things, this new awareness of God and Christ. And um, in the 19th century, it becomes. Um, for various reasons, that, that uh, probably be another another episode. But it 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 it, it, it becomes more identified with a person's uh, uh, you know choosing or decision. Um, and in many cases, a lot of people came to faith that way. That was the moment, right? right? They may have had a period prior to, but but in other cases, it probably was not. It may not have been. So, and it takes a skilled, you know, spiritually discerning pastor to to know the difference. So. So how are these uh you know, these eighteenth century uh pastors, leaders, and evangelicals uh making sure that they do have that con not only uh, we've got the conviction, yep. we've got the conversion, how do we make sure that their calling and election is sure, right? So there's there's some level that they're they're drawing on what any when I read it sometimes I I like to call it Puritan angst that uh <laughs> We're, we're yeah, not really yeah. saved. I'm not really part of the family. And, and they spend, you know, they're writing these journals, these uh, fascinating narratives of uh, of them questioning the very nature of their salvation. But it seems like in the 18th century, uh, especially amongst uh, uh, amongst those who we would call evangelicals, um, there is more of this confidence that I, I have come to Christ and here's why. Um, and yep. what what is the turning point on that? What's some of the motivations of getting to that point where it's less... Uh, the concern that the Puritans had, and and more of a confidence moving forward. Yeah, no, you you bring up a good point. Um, you do see um, uh, you do see this shift from the Puritan kind of the lengthy road to assurance to a much a much uh, in the 18th century in the in the awakenings. You see more of a a confident kind of. Um, a confidence that appears the the road to assurance uh, that that third C consolation right. um, does does uh, appear to be uh, quicker. Um, and and what are some reasons for that? Uh, I I have to give that more thought, but I I think it has a lot to do with the um, just the uh, the awakening events, these revivals, the, the 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 hope and the optimism that God is at work amongst us, and when He touches my me or you know, me personally, there's, there's, uh, there, there's a much uh, uh, more greater sense or kind of uh, numerological sense of the spirit at work in one's life. And, um, <clears throat> mm. um, it wasn't, um, uh, it, 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 it just became more self-evident, uh, to a lot of folks that, um, that, that he is, he's converted me, he's changed me, even, even though there still was this, um, it, there was this, uh, uh um, uh, what's the what am I looking for? There, there, there were there were some folks who wrestled with uh, the older Puritan uh, quest for assurance a lot longer. But, right. uh, but yeah, it, it it did shift, it did transition. So yeah, things get shorter, conversions get quicker, the narrative <laughs> gets shorter the farther we move forward for various reasons. Yeah, <laughs> I just always find so, that fascinating, yeah. especially when you look at you know we have the conversation about you know what constitutes an evangelical and. For our listeners yep. who may not be aware of this, I mean, this is a, a robust 
uh, conversation and discussion, especially even in our, our modern era where that term is often defined by political affiliation much more than, you know, theological or other claims. Yeah. But uh, when we think through of David Bevington's famed quadrilateral and conversionism being one of the, the main four marks of what constitutes an evangelical, uh, it, it's built on I think, especially in the 18th century, it's built more on this idea of this this preaching of this idea of a conversion experience yep. that that one has just marks one. And this this is what Wesley and Whitfield and uh, Tennant and Edwards and you know the list goes on and on of 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 yes. these great preachers of the 18th century on both sides of the Atlantic are preaching for. Uh, they are yep. preaching so that people not only hear the gospel, uh, come to under conviction of their sin, but hear the gospel and respond and and follow Jesus uh, and follow Him alone uh, instead of their own um, own own personal uh, take on things. Yeah, no, it was, um, and, and this 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 crossed the divide of uh, your kind of uh, Calvinism and evangelical Arminianism. I mean, you look at the you look at the Wesleys and you look at right. the Methodists. They they were they were their conversion narratives followed this the same that's um, very similar arc. You might want to say or, mm. or, or morphology shape of conversion experience. It's just so fascinating to me to think through how. Uh, I mean, we all have our own stories as believers about how we yep. come to faith in Christ. Uh, we could probably sit and have you tell your conversion narrative, or I could tell mine. Yes, uh, we've, we've my testimony. Your right? testimony, testimony. exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, yet this was very much a part of uh, 18th century uh, evangelical life. Is this narrative of yep. of how I was convicted, how I was converted? And how I was consoled, or or have this uh, strong sense of uh, assurance in my uh, salvation, uh, Dr. Caldwell. Thank you so much for joining with us today on this episode thank of you. this week in church history. And I hope uh, my listeners have been able to gain a deeper appreciation of this understanding of the conversion narrative because of uh, even the way that Wesley reflected on this all the way. Uh, back in 1738 on May 24th. We'll close with uh, a, a stanza from Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be?, that summarizes some, the, uh, some of this somewhat as well. Wesley wrote, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This Week in Church History. We will see you next week.